Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17 through 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of the Lord. By the, by the looks of the weather this morning, um, it seems that maybe Poxitani Phil knows what he's talking about. Uh, maybe we've got a little bit more winter ahead of us. You know, Friday was, was Groundhog Day. Um, such a wonderful holiday. I hope you celebrated uh, with friends. I can't, I can't help. When I think of Groundhog Day, the only thing, only thing I think about is Bill Murray. Um, I just think of the movie Groundhog Day. And when I think of Bill Murray, I think of one of the things he once said. He said, you know, everything happens for a reason. But sometimes the reason is you're stupid and you make horrible decisions. Which is my segue into Jonah. Um, If you've forgotten where we've been, if you haven't been here for the first couple of weeks, we had a week off from Jonah last week. But Jonah, um, he's made some pretty bad decisions. And what we've seen is that despite that, um, there are reasons for things that are happening beyond what he understands. And I can relate, I hope, as we've thought about Jonah, even over the last few weeks, that you can relate to some of Jonah. Because Jonah hears this word from the Lord, and he doesn't like it. And sometimes we read God's word, and we don't like it. Sometimes he tells us things that we, frankly, don't want And we don't want to do. And Jonah gets on a boat and he goes in the opposite direction from Nineveh because he thought Ninevites should not hear this word from the Lord. Ninevites are vile and they're ruthless and they're violent and they don't deserve to hear this word. And so Jonah, as we saw, goes in the opposite direction. But ironically, um, Jonah is in a boat full of Gentiles and... God knew what he was doing. And this is where we left him last week because this great storm God sends upon this boat, basically what what it reveals to Jonah is that as they cast lots, thinking who is the evil one in the boat who brought this upon us, the lot falls on Jonah. And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And that's where we left him um, a couple weeks ago as he's just getting ready to hit 
the water in the midst of the storm, what would have been um, certain death for him. This is what he knew. And so before we, we pick up there, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you just simply for the fact that you are God and we are not, and your ways are, are much higher and different than our ways are, but we thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, that you've spoken to us in your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for his humility, his obedience, for his love for people like us. It's astounding, Father. And I pray that we would see it once more again this morning, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Some of you guys might be, um, it sounds like you know who Bill Murray is, but some of you might be familiar with the name Brennan Manning. He was a a Catholic priest. He's since passed away. Um, Back in the 60s, he was a Catholic priest, but he left the priesthood in order to marry a woman. And that marriage didn't go so well, and he ended up getting divorced. And that that divorce really rattled him to such a degree that he really descended into alcoholism. And I, I ran across this interview um, a, a little while back, and something he said really it hit me. He said, in April of 1975, I was a full-fledged alcoholic. I was drinking a quart of vodka a day. I was overwhelmed by loneliness and failure in ministry. I woke up in the doorway on Commercial Boulevard, 100 yards off the beach in Fort Lauderdale. I was in a fog with vomit all over my sweater, staring down at my bare feet, wondering what happened to my shoes, not knowing a wino had stolen them during the night. An attractive woman passed by with her four-year-old son. The boy broke loose from his mother's grip and ran and stared me down. The mother came up quickly behind him, cupped her hand over his eyes and said, Don't look at that filth. He's pure filth. And then she spit on me. Eleven years ago, that was Brennan Manning. I can speak about the relentless tenderness of Jesus because my life has been a celebration of his love that keeps no score of wrongs, a celebration of his infinite patience, his unbearable forgiveness, his tender love for me. For that last 11 years, I've been tramping throughout the United States proclaiming the good news of God's unconditional love and absolute primacy of Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. I think it's fair to say that if you wake up, you know, one morning covered in your own vomit and you can't find your shoes because somebody's stolen them and somebody calls you pure filth and then spits upon you, I think this is what we would normally call um, hitting rock bottom, right? It doesn't feel like you can go um, any further down than that, and this is what it was for him. And I want to ask us this question this morning. Have, Have you ever been at rock bottom? Have you ever hit rock bottom? And now, with that story as a setup, some of you are thinking... No, I haven't been there. Some of you in the room are saying, I've been somewhere that's really similar to that. But what I'm saying is more of the feeling. Have you ever been in a place where you thought, um, there is no other hope that is left for me? There is no way for me out of this. There is nothing left for me um, to do. That I feel like the floodwaters are surrounding me. They're over my head. The waves and the billows They lap over my head. You see, in this book, 
Jonah, if you've noticed, he keeps descending. He keeps going down. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down to a ship. He goes down to the bottom of the ship. And and then in this passage, we see him down as far as he can possibly go. He's at the root of the mountains, he says. Have you ever felt like that? I think most of us have. Some of us just feel like something like that maybe every week, right? Um, You know, I don't think I hit rock bottom this week, thank God. Um, But I had moments. You know, I remember saying to somebody this week, I feel like I'm underwater right now. I said, you feel like you're drowning? And I was like, yes, that's how I feel. And it spread in front of me at that moment. I didn't make the correlation to this passage that I was currently studying. Instead, what my first instinct is when I feel like I'm underwater, when I feel like I'm drowning, is that I better learn how to swim better. I better get back up to the top. I better get better control. I need to learn a new stroke. And I I didn't really, you know, it took a long time for me to stop and to consider that maybe this is where God is meeting me. Maybe he meets us underwater. Maybe he meets us not just at the point maybe of that first time we came to him, but maybe many, many times after that is that that is where he's meeting us. And when we're sinking down, the last thing that many of us want to do is cry out. We want to learn to swim better. But God, you know, this passage, God loves his servant enough to let him go down to the very depths. He lets him go down to the depths because what does he want Jonah to see? That he's continuing to show Jonah who Jonah actually is. And what Jonah is beginning, he's in a process of discovering of, is what his need is. That he needs forgiveness. And this is exactly where God meets him. And you know, sometimes we just can't see our need. That we're blind from our actual need. We're blind from actually seeing how twisted our hearts really are until God is gracious enough to reveal it to us a little bit more to see how dire our situation actually is, sometimes the floor has to fall out from under us for us to come and meet him. And and that, too, is his grace. Maybe that's some of his most, like, wonderful and astounding works of grace in our lives is sometimes when the rug gets pulled out from under us. And I want to ask you again that question. Has God met you there? Not, like, on the day when you were doing really well and you read, you know, your Bible and you said something nice to, like, your roommate or your spouse and you were like, I didn't want to say that, but I did. And, um, and then I, like, served someone in need that day. And Now, I'm talking about on the day when what you're thinking is, I cannot comprehend how another human being would ever love me, much less a holy and righteous God. Has he met you there? The scene, I think the scene of destruction is often the place of salvation. That he meets us in the depths. That's where he has to meet us. And when was it that you realized that you needed rescue? Not like a self-help program. Not behavior modification. 
not a little boost to get you going in the wrong in the right direction. When is it that you when you realize you needed rescue? You know, sometimes I think about and I wonder about the way that Jesus interacts with the Pharisees in the Gospels. Because Jesus is like, he's like mean to them. He calls them, I mean, he's ruthless. He calls them a, a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. And, and the more that I, I think about that, the more that I read the Gospels, and the more I think about where is it that we're, where we meet God to where we actually see that we, what we need from him is complete and utter salvation, I think that what I'm coming to find, um, even about myself here, is that it's often those people who are good, who are the most put together, who are privileged, who are the hardest soil. Maybe that's why Jesus is so ruthless with them, that he has to break their pride and he has to break their arrogance and he has to break their self-righteousness so that he can meet them because that's the only place where they'll ever actually see that Jesus is beautiful because it's the place where they see they have no other hope. Have you met him there? Have you met him there? Salvation is not about how we hold on to God. It's not about how we have pursued God. Salvation is about how closely he holds to us, how ruthless his compassion actually is for us because salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. I'm not sure that Jonah, we're going to talk about this in a second, totally understood the depth of what he was saying. Um, But I, I heard one a very respected theologian asks, is there one verse that sums up the whole Bible? It's like the kind of question you're like, that, you, that means you don't want to hear the rest of what I have to say. Give me one verse. And he said this verse, salvation belongs to the Lord. I want to look this morning then about, I want to, I'm going to roll with alliteration. Uh, so we're going to do the providence of salvation and the, the, the place of salvation and the point of salvation. The providence of salvation and then the place, and then the point. Uh, what about the providence that's going on? And you, it's really hard to read Jonah and not be kind of astounded. It's sort of the sneak, the, the sneak peek behind the curtain of what God is actually doing because all over it, um, we're overwhelmed with the actual providence of God that we actually get to hear and to see the ways in which God is moving and the ways that he's at work and the ways, you know, the psalm says that God neither slumbers or sleeps. You turn over to Jonah and you find out that that is true. He is not slumbering and he is not sleeping, that he is on this all-out mission of redemption where he is ruthlessly pursuing his people with compassion and mercy. And I ask that question to us. Do we know that? Do we know that that's what God is doing? You know, if there's one thing that I think many of us are, uh, you know, that many of us have thought over this, the course of this last week is that maybe um, it is all up to me. Maybe God is far off. Maybe he's not near. And we forget that God is always working and he's always moving and he's always driving forward this plan of redemption that he has. And we've often forgotten that he's even working that plan of redemption, that we're a part of that. This this plan that has spanned thousands of years and will go on through eternity, you are a part of that. That he's working in the highs 
I mean, this is what I love about Scripture is that we can't think that God's at work only when everything's going well for us because what we find is he's often doing his best work when things are going the worst for us. He's working in the highs. He's working in the lows. He's working in that job promotion. He's working when you got fired. He's working when you were sick. He's working when you were healthy. And you see... It's so clearly in the first passage, the first verse of this passage, Yahweh, the the name of the Lord, Yahweh appoints a fish to swallow Jonah. He appoints it. Why? Because it's his fish. (laughs) And he says to the fish, go and swallow this man. This man most likely thought this was the end Because this is where my horrible decisions have brought me. But God actually meets him there. And this is where, if any place else in Jonah, we're tempted to kind of roll our eyes. Let's be honest. I mean, it's great for children's church, but a giant fish swallows a man and he sits in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Are you telling me that this is what happened And this is what we're supposed to believe happened? Or is this some sort of parable? This seems a little strange. Let me, I don't want to say too much about this, but let me, I think it's worth saying something about it. Because let me say two things. If we deny that God is one who works in miraculous ways, we will have an incredibly hard time with the Bible. Because his hand is working all throughout scripture and we can see it. And sometimes he parts seas and sometimes he raises people from the dead. And sometimes he tells a fish to go and swallow a man and the fish actually does it. But if our first premise is that God is the one who spoke creation out of, into being out of nothing, then this isn't that hard for, for me to swallow. Because he made that fish. And he made that sea. And we even see he made that storm. And he made that man. And so this is part of his creation. And he tells it what to do. If we're struggling with this, um, I'm just going to send you back to the Bible. But go back and read the very end of Job. It's just astounding that, that Job, as he questions God, God just really doesn't give him a peek behind the curtain. He rips it back and he shows him all the things that he made and he keeps asking Job, were you there when I did that? And finally Job puts his hand over his mouth. He stops talking. I think sometimes we need that as well, um, especially when we want to roll our eyes maybe at this. But secondly, I would say this. This is presented not as a parable, but it's actually presented as historical narrative. It just is. I mean, the language in the Hebrew is not poetic. It is actually presented as historical narrative. And more than that, what we see is that Jesus in three of the Gospels understood it as historical narrative. Jesus is saying that this happened. And so what I think is going on is that God is sometimes he flagrantly displays his providence. And he does that especially in this incident. I mean, he's showing that he has power to save. But let me ask you this. Is it any less miraculous? This, this helps me at least. Maybe it will help you. Is it any less miraculous 
that God appointed somebody to come and to comfort you maybe when there was a time when you were at your wit's end? Is it any, any, is it any less miraculous that you're sitting here this morning because maybe somebody took an interest in you and spoke words of life and good news to you maybe a neighbor or a coworker or a friend i mean is it any less miraculous that you might have been born into a home of with parents who believed in jesus and taught you the gospel that's miraculous is it any less miraculous are your parents less miraculous than a giant fish i don't think they are god is at work Salvation belongs to the Lord. And if you were part of that salvation, it's because he is one who has relentlessly pursued you. Where is the place then of salvation? In this passage, I think, I mean, we see it really clearly. It's very vivid. The place, you know, where is the place where we're able to cry out in awe to God? And it is, it's in the depths. It's in the valleys. I mean, we think that we, meet, we want to meet God on the mountaintop when everything's wonderful, but where we often meet him is in the depths. This proud, stubborn Jonah could not meet God anywhere else. God lo- You think about it, God loves this man. God lo- he's, he is as foolish as I am. He lo- God loves this man. He loves him enough to drive him to a place where he needs to see that he needs grace. And he cannot, this is, this is the point, that he cannot and he will not go and preach to his enemies until he feels the full weight of God's grace himself. Until Jonah himself sees, I need forgiveness and I need God's mercy and I need grace every bit as much as those Ninevites, he will never go and preach the good news to them until he understands that, that he too needs compassion. The place of salvation. Listen, listen to Jonah in his own words in this prayer. He saw, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, the grave, verse 1. When I was in the deep, the heart of the sea, the flood surrounded me, verse 3. When weeds were wrapped around my head, That's vivid. At the roots of the mountains. When my life was in the pit. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. In other words, when the hope of me being able to control my situation any longer finally hit me like an anvil in the face, that's when I remembered the Lord. That I remembered that he actually is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And this is where we all have to meet God because we will cling to false hope as long as we possibly can. As long as we possibly can. Listen to him in verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's a true statement, right? I mean, when we pay regard, when we bow down to false idols, to to other gods that we think can actually bring us salvation, then we forsake his steadfast love. This is this Hebrew word, hesed, that we can't really translate well. It means his covenant faithfulness, his pursual of us. That we forsake his steadfast love. And isn't that what Jonah was doing? 
right? I mean, even as he runs away from God, isn't he actually bowing down to a false god? Maybe he's bowing down to the false god of himself. That I know better than God is kind of what we confessed this morning in our confession. Isn't this what surrounds, I think, us and tempts us, always pushes us away from seeing our need? That there we're surrounded by false idols. And they're so tempting. I get a little bit of money, I get a little bit of comfort, I get a little bit of education. I get a little things accomplished. It's so easy for me to think, I don't need, I'm not helpless. <laughs> I mean, I've, got, I've done a lot of things in my life. I'm not, I'm not helpless. And the reality of the situation is that we are always helpless. Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. But this does bring up a question about Jonah. Is Jonah actually, I mean, when you listen to this prayer, is Jonah actually repenting? I mean, is, is, is he saying that he was the one that was worshiping vain idols? Or is Jonah saying, you know, people who worship vain idols, they forsake the love of the Lord. But since you rescued me, it must mean I'm one who doesn't worship vain idols In fact, in the next verse, he says, I sacrifice to the Lord. Is Jonah actually repenting? Is he saying that God hasn't forgotten him because he doesn't worship vain idols? You know, I think this prayer, and we're going to see this in the next few weeks, this prayer is a really conflicted prayer. It's it's laced with a lot of truth. It's, um, It's laced with a lot of beauty. And it's also laced with a lot of selfishness. This prayer is all about Jonah. That Jonah loves grace when it's shown to him. Because Jonah is a very important person to Jonah. (laughs) Jonah loves Jonah. And when grace is shown to Jonah, he really loves it. And you may have noticed what a conflicted prayer this is. Jonah doesn't really fess up to his own sin in this prayer, even as he's sinking down. He doesn't name the things that he's done. In fact, um, he thanks God for salvation, but he also sort of blames God for the devastation that he's in. When you sent your ways, when you sent your billows, but you rescued me. It's a conflicted prayer. And nevertheless, in the midst of that prayer, Jonah utters this beautiful truth. Salvation It doesn't belong to anybody else. It belongs to the Lord. And we'll see in the coming weeks, he's still on this journey to understand how deep that salvation actually goes. God shows compassion to this stubborn, self-righteous, selfish man, and he's breaking him with his grace, but he's not done breaking him quite yet. And thankfully, he's not done breaking me with his grace quite yet, or you quite yet. And so what's the point? We're going to see a lot more of the point as we continue through the book, but let me just let me just leave us with this that all over this passage. I mean this passage is vivid vivid imagery of death and resurrection. It's death and resurrection. I mean you see Jonah felt like 
he was dying. He felt like he was descending um, to death. He felt like he had been resurrected when he was spit back up on the shore. But Jesus uses this continually to say, do you see the sign of Jonah? That Jonah felt like he was dying, that Jonah felt like he was descending to death, that Jonah felt like he had been resurrected, but Jesus was taken to Sheol. That Jesus descended into the heart of the earth. That Jesus rose again and broke the bonds of, of sin and misery and death. And what the New Testament over and over again tells us is that you were there with him. That you died with him. That he met you there. That you rose again with him. That's exactly what the Bible says you are. And there's a sense in which we have all been, I hate this word, but we've been vomited up on the beach. And we've been spit back up because we've been, we've been snatched from death. We've been saved from the snares of the devil. That our lives have been redeemed out of the pit. And do you, let, me, let me end by asking this. Do you see your life that way? If you see your that life that way, you see, we talked about this a, a couple weeks ago. Jonah, Jonah was self-absorbed because he was self-righteous. Jonah was self-absorbed and didn't want to share God's love because he thought that he deserved God's love other than, more than other people. Do you see your life as being snatched from the pit? He has shown me mercy. It has to produce something in us. Do you see how far he's come to save you? Do you know where you would be without him? Have you felt rock bottom so deeply that you glory in his grace? The psalmist says it. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry and he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. And he put my footsteps on a rock and he made them firm and he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to the Lord. Many will see and hear and trust in the Lord. If you've been pursued as recklessly and relentlessly by the compassion of the Almighty God, what do you now want? What do you now lack? Where should you now go? What do you have left to fear? Paul says it this way, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption that allows you to cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Let me pray. Father, it is one of the hardest things for us to see is how deep our need actually goes. Father, it is easy for us to think that um, in you saving us, you did probably a pretty smart thing um, because we're pretty good candidates. But we thank you that you continue um, really to break us by the power of your grace, as we sang a few weeks ago, that you continue to show us how deep our need is because in doing that, you continue to conform us to the, son, the image of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, thank you for that. And I pray as we come to this table that we would see him more clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.